With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got it! Looking away, McKenna around third. Throw from the outfield is up the line. Inside the park home run! Deep! Gone! Whoa! <laughs> he leaps up and he makes the catch up against the wall! And he's gonna watch it fly! Well, welcome to lucky episode number 13 of The Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. That's SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at blessyouboys.com, also on Twitter at blessyouboys, and on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, here with my partner, Rob Rojacki. Rob, are we completely bored with the offseason yet? I'm so bored. Do something, somebody. It's it's really hard, I think, when that's, you know, if you're not really into other sports, you know, you can't go right over to football. You can't go right to basketball or hockey and say, yeah, no, I'm really into that for right now. Waiting on the off season is just, it's so draining. It really is. Like, I think the worst part of it is kind of this dead period that we have. Um, you know, with the World Series and everything, you have baseball to talk about. There's at least baseball on TV. But over the next two weeks, like when teams are filling out qualifying offers and no, nothing's really happening, I think that's the the worst part of it. Uh, once, a, you know, the actual hot stove action starts to pick up, and we're getting a little bit of that now, that's kind of when things start to get rolling and it's a little bit more bearable again. Yeah, it seems like there's always these two definite periods of downtime where it just it sucks to be a baseball fan if that's what you do and that's your exclusive sport. This period that we're in right now is one of them and then I think that the next one hits right after the winter meetings and you kind of go into that, you know, month-long lull in January where there's nothing really happening and you're kind of waiting for spring training to start. So, yeah, at least we're on the uh we're on that portion of the journey where there's good things coming. You know, we've still got some stuff coming in November and then the winter meetings coming. See, yeah, with January and February, though, you kind of expect that, right. and it's more of, like, like, that's like prime Netflix time, where you catch <laughs> up on everything else you need to do before the season starts. Right. Well, I mean, it can be Netflix time now. I mean, we've threatened multiple times to have segments on the show where we talk about our favorite Netflix and books and whatever, so I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I am ready to get this episode on the road, even if we might need to get out and push at some point. And maybe ask someone to help push the show. I don't know. Today, we are talking about way too many qualifying offers. The Twins and the Indians already making headlines. Minor infractions for major penalties. We'll take some listener questions. And then Rob and I are challenging you to beat our free agent predictions. But first, it's time for rounding the bases. The Tigers are interested in too many relief pitchers, if that's possible. Tell you what that means when we get back. Six two hundred and ten pound righty delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone. A home run. 
delivers the walk-off. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob scene at home. And the Tigers take the series from KC. A walk-off home run from Kinsler. Eight to six. Welcome to our Rounding the Bases segment. We're talking about the fact that the Tigers seem to be interested in too many relief pitchers, if that's really even a possible thing. As we alluded to earlier, the offseason is, if not in full swing, it's it's at least sort of limping, I guess, at this point. We saw that, uh, oh golly now, I'm going to get my news facts confused. Alavila was part of the general manager's meetings this week. Is that, do I have that right? I think that's right. I'm, I think that there are some owner meetings going on at some point, too. Obviously, he won't be involved in that, but I'm not sure how all of it blends together. Uh, I just know that the winter meetings are the big ones that happen in early December. Does Mike Illich go to the owner meetings, or does he just like sort of run in and deliver the pizzas and then run back out screaming? I don't know. Maybe he sends someone to go with him. You know, Lance or whatever Fielder's Choice's <laughs> character was that... He created for the text posts. I forgot about Lance. Good old Lance, the the uh, faithful sidekick. Oh, golly gee. So, yeah, at this point, since there's not a whole lot going on in terms of actual signings, all we have to go on are the rumors. Love to get the rumor mill moving. And one of the big rumors right now, actually there's several of them, that the Tigers are, are expressing some interest in a lot of big-name relief pitchers. We've seen them express interest in Joaquin Soria, of course, our Listeners will recall we had Joaquim Soria earlier this year and part of last year. But they've also expressed interest in Darren O'Day, which is good news for you, right? And also with um, Andrew Miller. Huh? Yeah, see, this one doesn't really pass the sniff test for me. Um, The Tigers had a chance to sign Miller last offseason. They were apparently even looking to trade for him uh, at the 2014 trade deadline before they ended up acquiring David Price. Um, but so I guess now that they're interested in them, uh, it's, it's really kind of a confusing situation. I, you talk about the sniff test. I, I don't know. For me, I think it does. I think that the reasons you just listed actually make it for me more plausible because they seem to have had this, as you said, kind of an ongoing interest. And he was definitely someone they were pursuing in 2014. It sounded like they were really close to even making a deal with, I think it was the Red Sox at that point, um, before they ended up going whole hog with David Price. Um, and, and then, yeah, I, I remember that last year in the off season, we had a post on the site asking our, our audience, our readers to predict, I think it was like name three players that you think the Tigers are going to pick up in the, in the off season. There were so many people that picked Andrew Miller. I was shocked. It was like out of, I don't know, 60 selection entries at least 40 of them were saying you know Andrew Miller it was kind of a surprise that they didn't end up picking up Andrew Miller eh, I mean maybe not maybe it made more sense less sense I should say last year because they already had Joe Nathan on contract and they had Joaquin Soria on contract does it make any more sense now I guess is the question I mean from that standpoint it does you know they don't have that 17 million or whatever it was that tied up in those two relievers so now they've got plenty of cash to go after a guy like Andrew Miller but at the same time he's coming off of uh, probably the best full season of his career Uh, he allowed a 2.04 ERA last year he struck out 14.6 batters per nine innings or almost 40 percent or over 40 percent of the batters he faced last year and his whip was 0.86 good lord um so some pretty ridiculous numbers from him and you know coming off of a season like that his trade value is going to be through the roof right now and uh from what we heard the yankees are kind of asking for the moon 
uh, for him. Hmm. Uh, I believe they're looking for a frontline starter, whatever that means. Uh, Miller has three more years left on his contract at nine million bucks per year, which, you know, if he's going to repeat his numbers that he did last year, that's actually kind of a steal for a guy like this. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I just don't necessarily see the Yankees giving up on a guy that was that valuable for them. Yeah, not unless, like you said, they really want to try and pick up a, a frontline starter, as you said, whatever that might be. I mean, I suppose that kind of takes, for me, that would take the Tigers out of the running, you know, as a trade partner for that, because the Tigers are trying to fix their starting rotation, not offload starters at this point. But I always like to look at the that strikeout per nine figure and his was like over 14 and a half i think this last year so hey whatever you got to do to get andrew miller as long as it doesn't you know mean the tigers blowing even more holes in the starting rotation i would totally be all about it's just so weird to think that they had him the tigers had andrew miller at one point i mean i'm not going to complain about what happened in that you know eight years between with them drafting him and what they got a triple crown winner now. big deal you know i yeah i know you're getting a first ball hall of famer not bad <laughs> uh you know it's there's worse things i suppose you i know have been really high on darren o'day and have, have mentioned that name several times on several po- uh, previous podcasts uh, i mean what's what's going through your mind now at this point now that you see the tigers are actually expressing interest I'm really excited that they're looking at a guy like O'Day. Um, it seems like O'Day is really kind of one of the more sought-after relievers on the market right now. I believe that other teams like the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and pretty much anyone that needs bullpen help is expressing interest in him. So he might not get the uh, you know kind of non-proven closer uh, deficit or I'm trying to think of the word here. Um, Totally escaping me. Anyways, I think the teams are going to fork over plenty of money for him, even though he doesn't have the saves, the saves that a, a guy like Joaquin Soria is going to have. Um, but O'Day's numbers are just uh, awesome. And, you know, in some instances, even better than Andrew Miller's. Uh, over the last four seasons, O'Day has held opponents to a 1.92 ERA and 0.94 whip with a uh, with a strikeout to walk ratio of four and a half over four full seasons. And this is a guy that doesn't even throw 90 miles an hour. No, but he's got that wicked deceptive sidearm delivery thing that's just a pain in the ass to hit if you're playing MLB The Show. I hate facing Darren O'Day in that game. He, yeah, he, I mean, he's pretty ridiculous. He's made, he, he only made his first all-star team last season, which is kind of amazing to think about. Um, but this is a guy that's absolute hell on right-handed batters. Uh, righties have a 493 OPS against him in his entire career, which yeah. is, ugh, just ridiculous. He hasn't really played in the closer role at all, though, has he? No, he hasn't. Uh, wow. The Orioles had Jim Johnson in that role. We all remember him from <laughs> that fateful 2014 season. Trying to forget. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Jim Johnson was in that role for a couple years for them. And then Zach Britton has kind of taken over that role as another really dominant closer over the last couple seasons. Um, so, you know, the Orioles would really kind of have to spend a lot of money, it seems, to keep O'Day with so many other teams after him. And I don't necessarily that they're going to be able to kind of fork over that cash when, you know, Buck Showalter is really kind of good at managing the other arms he has in his pen and could probably get by without him. Interesting, then, that he's kind of been uh, in the situation, it seems like, where he's been blocked on these other teams. He's got the stuff to be your, uh, you know, I hate to say it because I don't agree with the philosophy, of course, but to be the ninth inning specialist, you know, your, your closer type, your relief ace, I'd like to see, you know, him being used more in that kind of a role. But uh, if, if he was blocked from getting there, um, <clears throat> excuse me, by some of these other 
uh, teams that he was on and, and uh, you know, it's, I'm kind of trailing off here because I was just recalling that you said the Red Sox showed some interest. I wonder if that would be the same situation with Boston if you were to get picked up there because they've still got Koji Uehara, don't they? They do, but it's tough to say whether Koji's going to kind of be their closer in 2015. Hmm. Uh, you know, based on, I haven't really looked at his numbers, but I don't know if he was quite as good in 2015 as he was in, you know, in previous seasons. I believe he was a little bit injured for a while there and didn't throw quite as many innings. Um, so we'll see, you know, exactly how good he is going forward. Uh, you know, they may just kind of stick O'Day in that ninth inning if the Red Sox sign him. It'd be kind of funny, though, you know, Dave Dombrowski going out and spending big money on the <laughs> on the top reliever in the market, and then, you know, lo and behold, maybe he ignores the rest of the bullpen again. <laughs> uh, not to wish bad things on our friend Dave, but, yeah, uh, it's... Uh, I am always going to view 2016 as kind of the showdown now between Dave Dombrowski and Al Avila, you know, the master and the student. And I'm obviously rooting for Avila to win and win big. Uh, But anyway, to get back to my train of thought there, it's just interesting to me that Darren O'Day has had this really good stuff for years, but has never been given the opportunity, it sounds like, to really show that off as a proven closer. Uh, So you wonder if there's almost... um, If other teams that are expressing interest in him at this point are, are viewing him that way, uh, as a potential closer and will be willing to give him that kind of money? Or if people like, uh, you know, the, the Red Sox, say, are really just looking for a really solid eighth inning setup guy? Because I would imagine that if he came to Detroit, it would be to pitch the ninth inning. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, some of the other teams that are interested in O'Day may or may not be looking at him in the ninth inning. I mentioned the Dodgers before. I mean, right. they're probably going to be involved in every free agent under the sun. Um, the Dodgers already have Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning, so if they do end up signing O'Day, it may be more for that kind of eighth inning role. Um, I think that a lot of this stems from the Royals winning the World Series this year with their dominant bullpen, and you know, uh, you know, all professional sports, but baseball in particular, is really kind of a copycat game. Right. And you know, anytime one team does something a little bit different to to win a title, the other teams are going to copy copy that. So we'll see how we'll see how sought after some of these relief arms are this offseason. It just seems like kind of the ultimate no-duh moment, though, you know? Like, are MLB teams just now figuring out that you really need a good dominant bullpen to win a World Series? Because, golly, geez, that seems like that's been the case for a very, very long time. Now, when you've got guys like O'Day and Miller being thrown around in, in relation to the Tigers and them showing interest, does that, I mean, for me, it does. But for you, does it kind of take a little bit of the shine off of a name like Joaquin Soria? It maybe does. And I think that Soria's kind of... I don't necessarily want to call it a lackluster 2015 because he was still pretty good. Um, But, you know, he didn't really seem like the same guy that was just terrorizing the AL Central with his years with the Royals. Um, And, you know, maybe that kind of stems back to him having a second Tommy John surgery. Or maybe it's this, you know, this is kind of the first full season that he lasted uh, in a while now. But he wasn't necessarily the same guy for a lot of the year. Uh, he had that, you know, kind of month-long stretch that we talked about on the last podcast uh, where he gave up, I think it was like six home runs in like eight or nine games or something like that. Um, but otherwise, it was pretty good. And once he got to Pittsburgh, uh, his numbers really kind of took a turn for the better. So maybe that's kind of the guy that we see going forward uh, from him. But it's uh, it's almost weird to think about that Soria, the only proven closer on the free agent market might be the guy that actually gets less money than the non-proven closer guy? <laughs> well, it I don't know. It might make sense. I mean, again, we only had the Detroit period there to kind of gauge him, you know, up close and personal and see all the games, you know. Uh, it's just, 
Look, 2014 was extremely lackluster. He only pitched for half of the season. He was injured for almost what, a month out of that half half season that he pitched for Detroit. And he posted not great numbers. I was looking at his uh, RE24, uh, you know, your, your number of expected runs prevented, and it was in the negatives. It was like a negative two and a half um, for 2014. Not really a great way to get your, you know, start. And then for 2015, it's kind of the same thing in that he only had the half season with us. And in the middle of that, struggled, as you mentioned, with that little bit of home run-itis, you know, giving up those six home runs in nine or ten games. And then he's gone, you know. So it's it's two very bleh kind of half seasons to judge him on. And I think I said in the last podcast, if he's going to be a marquee name for marquee-type money, then I kind of want to see an actual marquee performance. You know, and if they're going to spend big money on a big name, then I'd rather it be... I know these names aren't out there, but, you know, an Araldus Chapman or a Kenley Jansen or something like that. But I guess I wouldn't complain if, you know, if the options are Joaquin Soria and another year of Joe Nathan, I guess you take Soria, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think part of the reason why, you know, O'Day and Soria are drawing so much interest is that the market really kind of falls off after those two guys. Yeah. Um, you know, the next uh, the next best guy might be someone like Ryan Madsen, who, you know, was out of baseball up until last season. Um, you got a guy like Casey Jansen, who pitched for the Nationals for a little while. Tyler Clippard, um, you know, so there's some decent guys on this list, but it's really kind of those two guys and then a major step down until you get to anyone else. And I think that that's why, you know, Soria and O'Day are really going to kind of get paid this offseason. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Tigers go after one of those two guys or if they kind of step down to that next rung and grab a, grab a handful of guys. Yeah, it's one of the funny dimensions about the offseason that I think sometimes people forget, I certainly forget about it, that as we're looking at names like Darren O'Day and thinking, yeah, go get him, go get him, you forget that there is going to be a lot of other teams uh, pounding down his door because that, market for relievers right now is so thin i mean so just because the name is out there because it's a name that would fit because you really want to get him there's there's going to be some hot competition i think in uh in the reliever market so is it possible for the tigers to be interested in too many relief pitchers well i don't think at this point no not with as few of them uh are out there and the tigers are down one more reliever now because the, the news has come through that i don't know how the hell this keeps happening but guido knudsen who we've talked about on this podcast before uh, went to the waiver wire and was claimed by the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is like the third time in, what, six months that this kind of thing has happened. It was Hernan Perez uh, got uh, picked up by the Brewers, I think it was, and then Daniel Fields got picked up off the waiver wire, I think also by the Brewers, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And now Guido Knudsen. Um, the, the front office is aware of what's happening, aren't they? They're not just like... It's just not like me playing my first round with out-of-the-park baseball and making all kinds of stupid mistakes as the general manager just because I didn't know which screens to check. I, you know, it really is kind of confusing, um, especially in Knudsen's case. Uh, I know that both Perez and Fields were almost kind of victims of a numbers game mm-hmm. where the Tigers needed a spot in the 40-man roster, um, especially with Perez, not necessarily Fields so much, given that they were bringing Josh Wilson back. Yeah. Um but with Knudsen, the Tigers still had five available spots, uh, five available spots in the 40-man roster. Uh, waving Knudsen gave them six spots on the on the 40-man. I don't know that they necessarily needed all of those spaces for you know guys that were going to be Rule Five draft eligible. Uh, I think there are only you know a couple of guys that they needed to add at, at this point. So it's not like they it's not like he needed to be 
released or waived or whatnot for someone else to be added on. Um, you know, the Tigers may eventually need those spots when they sign free agents, but right now it's it's really kind of a, a mystery why he was waived. Yeah, I, I think the general, I don't know, sort of negative reaction that I'm seeing, kind of maybe it stems just from this general feeling of like, how are you just letting guys go for nothing at this point? I mean, if you didn't want to keep Knudsen, that's Knudsen, I sh- uh, sorry, should say, you know, that's fine. Uh, I don't think he was that great, but I don't know, maybe as part of a, a package deal as trade bait, you know, why not get something out of his name is Guido for crying out loud. You got to get something for that. <laughs> you absolutely do. Um, you know, I think the thing that kind of frustrates me and probably a lot of people the most is that he's a bullpen arm and the Tigers have a terrible bullpen. Right. You'd think that you could try to at least get a little bit more out of a guy like this. Uh, you know, he's already 26, just made his major league debut and it was pretty unimpressive. Um, and his stuff wasn't necessarily excellent, but at the same time, you know, sometimes these guys just kind of creep out of nowhere and, you know, have start to have, you know, a great year or two before they fade away. And maybe Knudsen was that guy. Uh, you know, we we definitely might see it with the Pirates, who, you know, seem to have some sort of pitcher whisperer vibe going on there with uh, pitching coach Ray Searage, who just seems to turn everything he touches into gold. I mean, he turned J.A. App into Clayton Kershaw, basically, <laughs> uh, for the most part, which is kind of astounding. Um, but back to Knudsen, uh, I, it seems like the Tigers really tried to kind of sneak him through waivers. Um, and it, I, based on w- what I'm reading with the with the waiver rules, it seems like they almost did it. Um, I think during the offseason, it's that American leagues would get a first shot at claiming a guy dropped by an American league team, and then, then the National League gets a shot. So, you know, the Pirates had the second best record in the National League, and, you know, it looks like that Knudsen made it through 27 of 29 teams that could have claimed him. So he almost got there. Um, and if that's the case, no, I'm still frustrated. Yeah, it's I, I hear you. It's like uh, like I said, you got to get something for a guy named Guido. And uh, yeah, I know if he goes to the Pirates and they they will turn him into something. They're just uh, well, you know the thing is, Rob, they're Pirates, so they're particularly good with bullpen arms. Yeah, I did that. Stop. Just went, stop the podcast. There. We're done. Just we're that's done. it. Crashed Thir- it. This is what thirteen episodes. Yeah, that, we're done. It was a good run. <laughs> I got my way, uh, but honestly, with the thing with with Knudsen, um. You know, in all seriousness, you said we got to see a little bit of him at the major league level. Uh, I got to see a lot more of him uh, during his days, you know, in West Michigan. As far as actual talent that we're giving up, the guy struggled mightily as, you know, even at the lower levels. His command was always a major, major issue. Um, I don't think they lost a whole lot in giving him up. So come at me. I think the timing of it is a little weird, too. You know, like I said, they have spots available on the 40-man roster. But if they wait until, you know, sometime around the winter meetings when free agents are starting to get signed and everything, and other teams don't have those spaces on their 40-man roster, then maybe he sneaks through. Hmm. It just kind of, it seems odd that they would do it now when there was really no reason for them to need to do it now. You know, maybe they have some, some other reasoning that we don't know about, but, you know, at face value, it seems puzzling yeah and I, all i can think is man they must really have like a hardcore list of you know number of slots that they have to fill and guys that they want to fill those slots i mean it has to be a hammered down plan at this point because they're obviously not accidentally letting these guys get through the waiver wire and whoops oh geez we lost another one man we really gotta watch that next time I, that that's not happening i don't i don't think uh, i don't know it's al's first time through so who knows 
Oh, boy. So you lose a Guido Knutson only to pick up a Jay Sartori. And this is the, the next big name floating around. He's not a pitcher. He's not a reliever. He's not a position player. He is a stats man. And an interesting stats man at that. I was kind of surprised to look and see. Uh, he's got some major league experience with analytics with the um, uh, Washington Nationals and with the, uh, geez, he was with the Blue Jays um, as their assistant general manager. But he was with Apple most recently. Apple, Rob, Apple. What? Yeah. Well, if he was in charge of developing the iPhone 6, I think the Tigers are in great hands. Um, but, <laughs> Come on. but but jokes aside, um, you know, it, it really was kind of interesting doing a little bit of research on him. Mm-hmm. He was working in the in the Washington Nationals front office and was hired away by the Blue Jays, I believe, in the winter of 2011 or 2010 or 2011 um, by Alex Anthopoulos, who was in charge at the time and kind of a... Uh, you know, kind of a stat head himself. I believe that the Blue Jays were kind of dabbled in some sabermetrics. They weren't necessarily at the front of the line, but they were definitely more so than the Tigers. Um, and then Sartori, I guess, just kind of up and left and went to Apple. You know, not necessarily sure what his motivations were there, but then gets hired back by the Tigers to get back into baseball. Um, and it seemed, I think the thing that I'm encouraged about is that, you know, I saw a few Blue Jays fans on Twitter that were actually kind of upset about this move. Uh, you know, and maybe it stems from just kind of the frustrations that they've had with new president Mark Shapiro so far. But, uh, you know, if the, if the his former team is upset that he's going to another club, I think you're doing something right. Well, I'm an Android man myself, so the Apple executive thing is kind of a knock against him in my book. But I'm not going to, you know... I'm just going to get a lot of people pissed off in this podcast if I keep going with these kinds of hot takes. But yeah, I I did a little bit of research on it myself, and I could not make heads or tails out of what he was actually doing with Apple. It was just kind of a weird, that's a weird career path, you know, to go from heavy, heavy baseball stuff. You're the assistant general manager to a team, and then you go off for, I don't know, he was doing something having to do with... um, uh, it was the user experience, I think. Something with the, with the app store and, like, the sports section of the app store. Yes. And I don't know. I thought you just, like, searched for an app and you got whatever <laughs> you found. So. I don't know what he did. But the no point, <laughs> now he's back uh, in baseball. And the title was even more kind of a confusing thing for me. He was uh, brought on uh, to the Tigers as the senior director of baseball operations and analytics. Now, the funny thing about that to me is that Sam Menzen, I thought all along, was the guy, right? He gets uh, promoted to director of baseball ops. I was under the impression that it was Sam Menzen this whole time that was uh, filling out the department by going out and interviewing and making new hires. And they've picked up like, what, five or six uh, people for the analytics department. They're really having a go at it. And then uh, Sartori gets hired, and he's named the senior director. So does that mean he's actually above Sam Menzen? I have no idea. Um, And to be honest, I don't really care, because the Tigers (laughs) are hiring more guys to dabble in statistics and sabermetrics, and basically they're hiring more people like us. You know, they're definitely better than... definitely better with numbers than we are uh but getting more people that think like us in the front office is probably a better idea for them at this point than spending a lot of money on joe nathan and neglecting the rest of the bullpen yeah well as for as far as i go um i i took a misstep in my career path somewhere because i this is what i do for a living i crunch numbers and write software and all this stuff and somehow i'm not working for a baseball front office yet i don't know what i'm doing wrong but there it is. Maybe I need to go work for Apple first. Uh, who knows? 
Anyway, that should just about do it for a rounding the bases segment. When we come back, our warming in the pen segment. The Twins and the Indians are making headlines, but for very different reasons. You'll find out why when we come back. Here's the 2-2. It's in the fly ball, right field. Deep and down the line, and gone! Victor Martinez with a two-run shot. Tigers back on top here in the seventh. They lead it 7-6. And we're back with Warming in the Pen. Rob, the Twins and the Indians are making headlines right now. Nobody else is, but uh, they're doing it for very different reasons. Uh, The news comes out that Indians outfielder Michael Brantley has undergone, or will undergo, has undergone right shoulder surgery, and he might miss opening day. Ouch. As far as I read it, it sounds like he already had the surgery. Um, you know, being on his right shoulder, that's his non-throwing shoulder. But you got to kind of wonder what exactly he had done that he's still going to be out five or six months. Uh, the the article I read just said arthroscopic surgery, but in most cases, that doesn't necessarily keep you out of action that long, especially with an arm that's not necessarily the your dominant one. Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly how uh, how he rebounds from that and how quickly he gets back onto the field for them. Um, you know, it, you do kind of, kind of wonder exactly how that's going to affect the mechanics of his swing. Uh, I took a, I took a, a premature look at the at the schedule next year. The Tigers have two series with Cleveland uh, just before the the start of May, or I think that one of them is like right at the beginning of May. So if he's not necessarily back in uh, at full strength in that first month, that could be a a nice little gift for the Tigers. Um, you know, obviously you hope that Brantley gets back to full health uh, eventually and. <laughs> <laughs> and it does play well because he's a great player to watch. Uh, but, you know, if he's limited at any point because he hits like 800 against the Tigers, uh, you yes. know, having him out of action for a series or two, not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Right. Uh, Michael Brantley, we wish you all success. Just never against Detroit. That's just the way it goes. Uh, but, yeah, that's, for, for a team that I think, if I recall correctly, um, you know, the Indians had a great starting rotation and a really decent bullpen to go with it as far as teams in the AL Central. Um, they were right near the top of the lists, but defense was one of the areas where they struggled. So to lose a guy, you know, like Brantley in your outfield, that that's, you know, how, what do you do at that point if you're the Indians? Do you go ahead and go out and try to fill the hole in the offseason or you just kind of bite the bullet and say, well, well, we'll struggle through the first, you know, month or so of the season until he's back to full speed? It's tough to say exactly what the Indians will do. Um, I haven't looked exactly at their, you know, their contract situation, their payroll, but I believe that they still have both Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher under contract for one more year. So they may be kind of limited in exactly what they can do on the free agent market. I know that, you know, once those guys are gone, they'll be, they'll have a little bit more money to spend and can, you know, go after a, a hot free agent. But uh, they might, they may be kind of sitting on the sidelines for a lot of the bigger names on the market this year. And so, well, the Twins, or the, rather the Indians, accidentally step on the sad trombone button. <laughs> the Minnesota Twins go out and sign that big, hot Korean name, first baseman. Oh, you made me pronounce this, too. Uh, Byung-ho Park. Now, th- this honestly is a mystery to me, Rob. These, these names, they float around, and I don't even know where to begin looking in terms of stats and evaluating a player like this, but I understand the guy can hit. Yeah, I I haven't looked at much in the way of stats of Park so far. Um, all I've read is, you know, kind of one article detailing that the Twins signed him. And then I saw a YouTube video of him doing some odd kind of like 
weird dance during a game with a couple of cheerleaders behind him. Wasn't sure exactly what that was about. Um, but based on what I read, he hit a ton of home runs. Um, you know, the Korean Baseball League, or Korean Baseball Organization, I think it's its official name, is a very, very hitter-friendly league. Um, you know, teams are scoring like five and a half runs there on average, which is, you know, just a huge amount. It's like steroid-era baseball up there. Um, so you got to kind of take some of those numbers with a grain of salt. But at the same time, uh, Pirate shortstop Jung Ho Gong hit like 40 homers in that league last year uh, and then came to the major leagues and just kind of started hitting right away with the Pirates. So, you know, this this may end up working out for the Twins. Uh, we'll see. You know, everyone's different, and we'll see exactly how he responds to major league pitching. But, you know, based on the limited evidence we have so far, it might be a good signing for them. Does Does he bat flip is the real question. Based on what I saw on Twitter, not as much as other people in the league. I believe he's a below average bat flipper. So we'll we'll see. Actually, you know what? Now that I say that, oh my goodness, I forgot. I, I read an article today by our friend Grant Brisby. We we like pitch this guy in every single podcast. Go read Grant if you haven't read Grant. Go do it. Uh, but he was uh, talking about the bat flip situation with Jose Bautista and so forth. And I want to say it was Park that he talked about uh, as saying he quoted him as saying that uh, he did do a lot of bat flips, but now that he's coming to the states, he's going to stop doing it. So that's really sad to me. That's probably why the Twins signed him, because, you know, they're not about any sort of fun at all. <laughs> the twins suck. They just suck. But now they have a hitter, allegedly, in Park. And, uh, you know, it's not like they really needed more of those in the lineup, did they? They didn't. Um, you know, with the Twins, they you know you kind of see them as more of a pitching and defense type club. But they've got a few decent hitters in that lineup and could end up being kind of a scary team down the road. Uh, they have Miguel Sano, who, you know, hit the cover off the ball. I believe he was on a 40-homer pace for the limited he action limited action that he saw this year. They have Joe Maurer still, who, you know, isn't hitting for a lot of power, but still kind of is Joe Maurer at times, and is just, you know, a real handful to get out. Uh, you got a couple other guys, Byron Buxton, who's been considered by many to be the best uh, prospect in baseball who may come into his own at some point. Uh, and then a guy like Brian Dozier, who, you know, hit 20 or 30 home runs. Uh, I didn't look at his stats, but, you know, another kind of great uh, great hitter that's really developed in that system. So that's a decent little middle of the lineup for them. Yeah, and let's not forget Trevor Plouffe. As long as it's the Tigers playing against him, then you're guaranteed a couple home runs. I think he hit, like, 30 home runs this last season, and maybe 25 wow. of them were against the Tigers. I was going to say, 25, is, that's on the low end for for Plouffe against the Tigers, so he needs to get his act back together there. Uh, moving on to what else is going on with the MLB offseason, we were going to talk about the fact that uh, there's been an awful lot of qualifying offers handed out, and before we really get into this topic, I need a brief refresher because I'm just so bad with the business side of this. I mean, people have explained this to me 100, 200 times, and it just it doesn't stick. It does not stick in my head. So you have to kind of refresh me real quick. In terms of the way the qualifying offer works, it, it happens with a team that has a, a player on the roster who is about to enter free agency. So like, say, uh, we'll say the Tigers and Rajay Davis. I know they didn't give him a qualifying offer, but just for the sake of the example. Well, let's say Max Scherzer because they did it last year. Okay, so Max Scherzer is about to depart in free agency. The Tigers have the option then of offering him this qualifying offer, which is I understand it is some sort of minimum offer. Uh, set by however it's set. Don't confuse me with those details. <laughs> i got to get the basics right. The point is, if they make this qualifying offer uh, and Max Scherzer turns that offer down, 
that means the Tigers then receive a, a comp pick in the draft, correct? Yeah, and there are a couple caveats to that. Um, you know, if you get a guy that doesn't sign before the next MLB draft, such as, you know, Stephen Drew and Kendris Morales did a couple years ago, um, they won't receive the comp pick. Or if they re-sign that player, like they did with the Victor Martinez, then obviously they won't get a, a compensation pick. Um, but the, the qualifying offer this year, I believe, is like $15.5 million. Right. So, you know, it, it really... both position players and pitchers, right? Correct. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if any of the 20 players that got offered do accept the qualifying offer this year, because, you know, the 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 dollar amount has gone up quite a bit over the last couple of years since it's been in place. You know, getting fifteen and a half million for one year's work isn't too bad. And, you know, with a draft pick that's tied to some of these guys names, they they may kind of find themselves in in a little bit of a pickle when it comes to finding a new team to play for. That's the part that I don't understand that part right there. So the team that that like in this case we were saying the Tigers and Max Scherzer the Tigers get a comp pick because he doesn't accept the qualifying offer how is it that a team ends up losing a pick well the team that signs the player so for instance in this example the Washington Nationals would would lost their first round pick last year and the order of it is a little convoluted Uh, it's not necessarily like a one-for-one trade but that's not really that important at this point especially with the Tigers not getting a compensation pick this year. Um, but yeah, with a, with that example, the Nationals would have been the ones to lose their first-round pick. Okay. And this so, stems, and this sorry to cut you off, but this yeah. stems back to the Tigers getting that protected draft pick. Right. So when if they sign one of these guys, they don't lose that first-round pick. They'll lose their second-round pick. Which is, yeah, okay, it's important, but it's not obviously as important as the first-round pick. And we did establish already that the Tigers did not make any qualifying offers to any of their free agents this year, so they're not getting any... Uh, comp picks in this so that does I think that does matter even though we have the the protected pick in the first round they're talking about doing some free agent signings this year obviously this um, you know so it, it sounds like they, they could end up getting a first round pick and then not again until well, I guess it'd be the third round that's correct uh, you know that's going to be a pretty steep drop off there um, I believe that last year the second round started around pick 40 or so, and that would have made the third round start around pick 70. Oh. And when the Tigers have lost some of those picks in years past, you know, you've gotten, you're going 40, 50 selections in between picks. So, you know, that's a pretty, pretty long time to wait in the draft. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if this draft is supposed to be shallow or deep or what, uh, but, you know, they've picked up some pretty good talent in the second round over, over the years. I believe James McCann was a second round pick. Yeah, I think you're right about that. If not, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that, but I think you're correct. Um, the other question then, just to finally clarify this before we go any further, is that does every free agent come with that, that draft pick penalty then? Every free agent that declines the qualifying offer, yes. Okay, okay. So the, we've got this long list then. It's, it, this is going to get kind of hairy. It's kind of created a minefield because we are looking at, looks like 20, uh, counting, oh, you put it right there in the notes for me, 20 players that received a qualifying offer this year. And there's, you know, there's some names you'd expect on this list, but Chris Davis, Marco Estrado, Dexter Fowler, Zach Greinke, of course, uh, Alex Gordon, really? See, that, that's another thing I don't get. He had a team option, no, a player option on his contract that he declined. They can still make him a qualifying offer after that? They can still do that, yeah. I don't understand this at all. It's just, oh, well. Uh, yeah. So a couple of strange offers there on that list, Rob. I think the strangest one, uh, is probably Ian Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, of the Padres. You know, he hasn't really been that good. 
In the last four years, he's had an ERA of 4.19 and has given up 102 home runs. Uh, his last real good season, uh, last above average season was 2012. And his last good season, I would say it was 2011 when he went 21-4 and with a 2.88 ERA. That's quite a long time for a guy like that. And, you know, Kennedy, who I don't believe made that much money in, in 2015, may be kind of one of these guys to accept the offer. But at the same time, as our good friend Grant Brisby pointed out, uh, Ian Kennedy is represented by Scott Boris, who really <laughs> wants nothing to do with these qualifying offers. So he may be kind of one of those guys that we see fall to, you know, kind of April, May, June without uh, too many teams going after him. Uh, the qualifying offer is for a year, right? If they, if they accept that offer, it's for a one-year contract, basically? Correct. Okay, so I'm looking at Patrick's list. Patrick uh, O'Kennedy put this post up some time ago about players that did receive a qualifying offer. Interesting to look at those numbers then, because, yeah, Ian Kennedy... Uh, 2015 salary was 9.85 million. So you're saying they made up a qualifying offer of 15 some odd million. Yeah, that's that's uh, interesting. It just the the psychology of this kind of fascinates me because it, I don't know. You're you're if you're the team, do you want him to accept the offer or are you kind of throwing it out there with the knowledge that hey, he's a Boris client. You know, we're gonna get a, a comp pick in return. I imagine in most cases that it's that kind of that second one that they don't necessarily want to want the player to accept. Um, but I think there are a few cases where the teams are kind of ambivalent about it. Uh, one guy that I thought was a little a little interesting in there uh, is Jeff Samarja of the White Sox. Hmm. Um, you know, he's a guy that you would think may decline the qualifying offer and hit free agency and could make some decent money on there. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of looking ahead and looked at the free agent list next off season. It is bone dry. I mean, it's like Steven Strasburg and pretty much nothing else. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a guy like Samarja, who has had a couple good seasons throughout his career, but really kind of, you know, crapped the bed in 2015, he may be a guy that benefits from accepting that offer this year. You know, if he goes out and has a good year in 2016, he could make a lot more money on the market next offseason, especially as, you know, we see more of this TV money and everything that's kind of coming into the game come into place so it, that'll be an interesting one to watch and I think the White Sox wouldn't necessarily hate it if he came back on a one-year contract you know they got some team-friendly team-friendly deals elsewhere and you know getting a guy on a one-year contract like that um, I always kind of say that it's really tough to overpay on a one-year deal in baseball when there's no salary cap yeah the White Sox are just confusing me right now because uh, when I when I did that AL Central comparison, just to look at the different you know pitching, bullpen, defense, offense, that was earlier this this year. Uh, it seems like the White Sox had a starting rotation that was one of the best in the AL Central. Their offense just sucked horribly, which is why they lost a bunch of games. But you know they they had Chris Sale and uh, Jose Quintana. Um, you know if you can get Jeff Samarja to do what Jeff Samarja should on paper be doing, he's got stuff. You know he should be able to come through. Then you've got a pretty decent rotation to start with. You'd think that. Um, you know they would do more than just uh, the qualifying offer at this point. They might you know try to extend, but I, I don't know what they're what they're up to. They just let um, the name the name is uh, Alexi Ramirez. They just let him walk. And I think they had the team option and they declined it. So what are they doing? Well, based on what I read on the Alexi Ramirez situation, uh, they may try to bring him back. You know, I don't know if they're necessarily looking at a multi-year deal or if they're looking to kind of just knock down the dollar amount that he made 
that he was going to make with the team option. I think it was like 10 or 11 million. Um, so you know, that'll be interesting to see exactly what they do with him. You know, he's a, a solid player, not the best shortstop in the league, but, you know, a really kind of a serviceable guy. Um, but going back to Samarja with them, you know, if, if he accepts that qualifying offer and is back with them, that's a pretty damn good rotation. You know, yeah. uh, you mentioned Sale and Quintana. Uh, they also have Carlos Rodon, who oh, had a pretty right. good rookie season. So you get those four guys and heck, you could put a plastic bag out there for the fifth starter. And that's still probably <laughs> better, depending than, on what the Tigers do, probably the, probably the best starting rotation in the AL central. <laughs> I was trying to remember who else was even in that rotation. And Danks was the only one that, that sticks and he's worse than a paper bag at this point. I, horrible, horrible stuff. I saw this last year with him. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. So, the question is, which players on this list would you not want to sign because of that draft pick compensation? Um, we we already mentioned Kennedy, and I think that's kind of a given. Another guy that I really wouldn't want to see is Brett Anderson of the Dodgers. Um, you know, he threw 180 innings, was pretty good in 2015. But prior to that, in the last four years, from 2011 to 2014, he only threw 206 total innings. This is a guy that's been on the disabled list quite a bit. Um, and he doesn't strike a lot of batters out, so when he's been healthy, he's been okay, but not great. You know, he had, a, I believe, it was a 3.69 ERA in 2015 in a very pitcher-friendly environment in Los Angeles. And I think that that's kind of a guy that, you know, the Dodgers are taking advantage of their, you know, gajillion-dollar payroll. And, you know, if a guy like Brett Anderson accepts a qualifying offer, oh, well, who cares? Hmm. Um, but, you know, with him having one healthy year finally, it definitely kind of makes sense for him to look for a multi-year deal on the free agent market. I just don't necessarily know if I want the Tigers to be the one to give it to him. Now, I thought we had talked a couple weeks ago, and I thought you were a little bit higher on Ian Kennedy as an option for the Tigers, just to, in terms of being a fly ball pitcher that would maybe work well with, um, you know, with, with Comerica Park and with, with a better outfield. Well, I didn't necessarily think that Kennedy was going to get a qualifying offer. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at some of his numbers, it didn't really make sense to me, but I, I missed the part where Scott Boris was his agent. So yeah, right. know, that seems like the Tiger, I mean, the, the Padres are banking on that and getting a draft pick. So I don't necessarily know if I would give up a second round pick for Kennedy. Uh, I think it would depend on the deal with him. Yeah. You know, if he signs for super cheap, maybe, but not exactly my first choice. I think the name on that list for me is Colby Rasmus, and that's just because I freaking hate Colby Rasmus. Ever since 2013, ever since the takeout slide and Omar Infante and all that, I think he's a punk. I can't stand him. Don't even show me the stats. I don't care. He's he's a jackass. <laughs> he drove a station wagon onto the field and took out one of our players with the side door. It was kind of a dick move. So screw you, Colby Rasmus. You can keep your qualifying offer. <laughs> Rob, I'm cranky because I'm bored with this offseason. So uh, there's, there is no speaking reason to me at this point. The Tigers need to make some moves soon or I'm going to lose it. Okay, on that happy note, we will end the warming in the pen segment, and when we come back, we'll go high and tight, talk about some minor league infractions with some major league penalties. Puff, puff, when we get back. The 3-2, going to fly ball, center field, this one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone, a home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. And welcome to the High and Tight segment. We're going to look back at some hot topic news items from this past week. Minor league infractions, major league penalties, Rob. The uh, shocking word out of Tigertown 
that one of our prospects acquired uh, just this past um, trade deadline, Jacoby Jones. In fact, he was the one that we got in exchange for Joaquim Soria, if I remember correctly, has been suspended for 50 games for his, I want to say, second infraction of what they're calling a drug of abuse, which, as I understand it, means it's not necessarily a performance-enhancing drug. It's something else. Yeah, uh, we're not sure exactly what it is at this point. Um, I think there are kind of one of three categories it falls into. The first one is, you know, uh, uh, an unfortunate and maybe kind of a harder drug. It doesn't seem likely given the high level he was playing at. But if it is something like that and, you know, some sort of addiction that he's struggling with, we hope that, you know, both he and the Tigers help him to get all the help he needs to recover from that. Uh, And I think that's all we really need to kind of say about that category. Uh, the second one could be some sort of, uh, I remember that Chris Davis at the Orioles was either suspended or penalized or fined or something for for using Adderall uh, without a prescription. Yeah, they suspended uh, and that, him because he was in danger of missing the, the 2014 postseason. And yeah, and that could be some sort, I don't know, necessarily know what they would call that in the suspension, um, but that may be a possibility. And then the third one is marijuana. Well... I mean, speaking of Rich Doobie, let's uh, let's just go with that and hope that that's what it actually was. The irony about the whole thing, and it's probably not true irony if you guys know anything about the dictionary definition of irony. I'm probably using that word wrong, but uh, the coincidence, I will say, is that we've also just heard that uh, one of the Cardinals prospects, Alex Reyes, has also been suspended, and he actually admitted to using marijuana. So now you got two of these cases where, uh, like we said, in, in the case of Jacoby Jones, we don't know what it was, but um, now two minor leaguers being suspended uh, for using these drugs of abuse. It just seems like uh, I don't really remember this happening before in the past. It may have happened before, and we haven't really noticed it because I don't know if the, any of the Tigers prospect prospects were suspended or if they were we weren't paying attention to them because the tigers prospects weren't very good maybe uh, that's why they weren't very good um so maybe (laughs) maybe that's why um but you know with reyes i believe they use the same quote drug of abuse uh terminology so i think that that's kind of why we can i don't necessarily want to say assume that this is marijuana but you know maybe just kind of guess that it might be um you know it seems like the most likely uh, the most likely avenue at this point. And, you know, it's it just seems like a pretty harsh penalty for something that, it, I will say, it, even though it is Jones's fault, you know, it's the second time he's been suspended for this, or at least the second time he's gotten caught. I don't know if there was an actual suspension the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, by this point, he knows the rule. He knows that he should not have violated it. And, you know, he should you know, face the, the consequences for his actions. The problem is that the consequences are pretty dang severe. Yeah, and that's that's why we kind of teased this the way that we did. It's a, it's a minor league infraction, and I was noticing, uh, reading a couple different articles on this, it seems like, if I understand this correctly, uh, that if you get caught smoking weed in the major leagues, I don't think you can get suspended for that. I think that's only a minor league thing, if I'm not mistaken. As far as I understand it, yes, I haven't done a lot of research into this, but I believe that the MLB Players Union, which major league players are subject to, but not minor leaguers, mm-hmm. um, they prohibit suspensions for marijuana use. I mean, maybe it's like a fine or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but the kind of interesting caveat to this is that uh, players on the 40-man rosters for teams are covered by the Players Union. 
So I don't necessarily know if there's like a deadline that the Tigers would need to, but if they added him to the 40-man roster, it's possible that they could avoid the suspension. Yeah, and you wonder if that's, I mean, necessary at this point. We're talking about a 50-game suspension, and I'm not even sure which games that covers. I, I think I want to say I read something somewhere that said uh, he would miss somewhere around 30 games next year. Because uh, I think this does include, he was playing in the, was it the Arizona Fall League, I think, this year, still playing. And so he's being suspended, you know, for however many games were left in that league. Plus, he'll have to fill out the rest of it, um, you know, come next year uh, in the minor leagues. I'm not even sure if spring training games count. I would imagine they don't count towards that. Um, so there's all sorts of questions then. Can he come uh, and try out for spring spring training? Uh, is he going to have to miss these, you know, 30 games next year? It's just still, it, he's... You know, one of the top prospects, certainly a position players, uh, you know, you hate to have a guy like that losing out on necessary development time. You really do, um, you know, and that's kind of why we wonder if the Tigers would look to add him to the 40-man roster to avoid that penalty. Um, he had a pretty good season last year, uh, you know, in A between the two organizations he played for. And while he's probably still at least a year away from any sort of major league action, um, you know, getting him and kind of getting back into into the swing of things, no pun intended, this season could really kind of boost his prospect status. And, you know, maybe the Tigers will really have something here. Uh, but if he's missing, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 games over the next season, that's really kind of a kind of a tough hit to take. Yeah, agreed. Like I said, we don't know exactly what that drug of abuse was. But yeah, for something, if it was just marijuana, you know, not to get into the whole legalize it argument or anything like that but that does seem like a pretty excessive penalty for something like that i mean considering that that's 50 games is what they handed out for johnny peralta when they caught him doing peds you know this is it's a i'm reminded of uh, an old robin williams stand-up bit you know where he talked about i think it was an olympic gold medalist who ended up having to forfeit their medal because they were caught doing marijuana and he said look marijuana is not an effing performance enhancing drug uh, you know, it's just like it's 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 not. It gives you the munchies for crying out loud. Uh, who knows? But yeah, as as we said, Jones obviously knew what he was doing. This is the second infraction. That's just another frustrating dimension of this whole thing. It's like, man, take care of your career, do what you're gonna do, you know. But uh, anyway, the second uh, thing I wanted to kind of chat about, which was kind of in the news a little bit, uh, Al Avila, our general manager and fearless uh, leader appeared on the MLB Network show The Hot Stove with uh, Matt Vaskersian and uh, Harold Reynolds, and then Ken Rosenthal was there. He he was on there for about, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes, did a lot of talking via phone about his big plan for the Tigers offseason. Kind of cool, Rob, to hear that clip, uh, that interview, and that's probably the most in-depth I've ever heard him go, you know, to the various aspects of what he wants to accomplish in this you know, in this off season, uh, some of the things that he mentioned, he said uh, when he was asked the question in terms of the payroll, uh, he said it's more restrictive this year than it has been in years past. And people have kind of latched onto that, you know, and said, oh, man, that sounds like they're, they're slashing payroll. But I don't think I don't know. We are getting some awfully mixed signals here, aren't we? We are. Um, you know, we've heard things that, you know, the Tigers may be looking to open up spending a little bit and that quote, money is no object. Um, so we'll see exactly what avenue they take. Um, you could also take, you know, his comment about payroll being more restrictive to just kind of mean that there's more money that's already being spent on the books. I believe that 
either one of either Justin Verlander or Miguel Cabrera has their kind of new contract kick in going into next season, and they're going to cost a little bit more money. Um, obviously, you have Victor Martinez still on the books, and he's costing quite a bit of money. So, you know, just with the money they already have tied up in guys, you know, J.D. Martinez is going to get a big uh, raise through arbitration. There might just be less money to spend already with what they have on the roster, not necessarily that the Tigers are cutting back their payroll, per se. Yeah, and if I recall now, the actual quote from that interview, I can't recite it verbatim, but he did say something to that effect when he said, yeah, it's more restrictive in years past. He went on to say, you know, because of contracts that we already have on the books, basically. It didn't sound like he was talking about slashing payroll, just like like we've talked about before. There's, you know, a lot of money tied up in just a, a handful of players at this point. But it is interesting to me that there, there does seem to be some mixed messages going out there in terms of, yeah, you know, the pedal is on the floor and we're going to have a competitive, highly competitive payroll and money is no object. Different quotes like that, you know. So I, it's, I guess we'll know when we get there. But other things that he mentioned, he said again, he reiterated, quote, we need to go out and get two more starting pitchers. And he kind of uh, outlined that a little bit more, I guess, uh, in a further statement. He said specifically, quote, some of the young guys that we have that we like, we would like to not push them so much where we're going in with three young guys, per se, and trying to win a championship. You know, you can add one guy in there, but you can't have three. It really sounds like he's uh, pretty committed to this idea of getting two starting pitchers because he does not want to dip into that young prospect talent pool just yet. Uh, yeah, you gotta you got to agree with his thought process there. Um, you know, having a bunch of unproven arms isn't necessarily the best route to go. Uh, we've seen that in various cases throughout throughout baseball this year uh, with the Tigers. You know, they kind of relied on Shane Green and then kind of that pile of prospects right behind him. Um, you know, you can kind of debate whether having Alfredo Simon there was a plus or a minus. Um, but I would like to see them kind of take a similar, although not identical, approach in acquiring a starter and making sure that, you know, it's really kind of just one spot in the rotation that they're trying to fill from within, whether that's, you know, a combination of Daniel Norris and Shane Green and potentially even a guy like Michael Fulmer. Um, But I thought his comments about kind of the bullpen were a little bit interesting. Uh, You know, we kind of joked about Lynn Henning and, uh, you know, the things that he said about moving uh, various starters to the bullpen, but it seems like Al Avila actually said a little bit of something along those lines as well. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really specifically say or specify, yeah, we're going to move starters out there. What he said that I have written down here, uh, he said the best way to fix your bullpen is to have your own players homegrown. That's really the best way to do it. Uh, But then he added, now in saying that, when you don't have that coming through the system, then you have to go out and acquire players, either via trade or free agency. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, He later said, we'll make decisions in spring training. Uh, but at the same time, now here in the off season, we've got to target the best available relievers that we can and see which one or which ones we end up acquiring. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. I think he's saying, yeah, ideally, you want to grow your own relievers and, and bring them up through the system if you can. But I think he's also acknowledging the fact that, hey, the Tigers are not in a position to fill out an entire bullpen from within at this point. So it's he does certainly seem to have, you know, have it in mind that he's going to go sign some free agents for the bullpen. Hey, I'm all for it. Well, I mean, really, who do you, I guess we'll, we can probably get to that a little bit later in our question and answer segment, but it's, you kind of look at it and go of, of the available arms that are there, you know, who, who do you really fill out the bullpen with at this point anyway? And I'm not sure that I agree with Lynn Henning that uh, Shane Green would be a primary target for that. I still don't know where I, where I 
land on that. I still think Shane Green has such strong starter potential that I doubt that they're going to give up on him that easily. On the other hand, I don't see them throwing a Daniel Norris uh, you know, into the major leagues and saying, now go you know, rot in the pen for a little while. I think they want to get him as much starter experience as they can, and they'll do that at the minor league level. My only question about Shane Green in particular with this is if they're going to try to limit his innings in any way next Good season. Point. Good point. Um, you know, with him having the surgery kind of to his shoulder and then, you know, not necessarily throwing a ton of innings last season. Maybe they do. Uh, you know, I kind of come back to what the Atlanta Braves did with Chris Medlin a few years back. I believe he was coming off Tommy John surgery or something. Um, and this was you know, like 2011, maybe they started him in the bullpen for like the first half of the season and he pitched out of there, you know, kind of handling innings like any reliever would. Then I believe they sent him down to the minor leagues for a little while, kind of stretched him out as a starter. And then he comes back and has this monster second half where I believe he, you know, made like 10 or 11 starts and had an ERA under one. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to expect a season like that mm-hmm. from a guy, but maybe this is kind of the thing they try to do with a couple of their arms. Um, and, you know, kind of limit their innings that way while still getting some major league production out of these guys rather than just kind of having them skip starts in the minor leagues. You know, uh, it, we've seen the Tigers kind of go with this best man available approach before when they stuck Drew Smiley in the bullpen right. in 2013. So, you know, maybe they're kind of looking back to that, thinking that that's another possibility. Uh, another name we've kind of seen bandied about is Michael Fulmer, um, uh, you know, the, the kind of stud prospect that the Tigers got from the Mets last offseason or last July um, and getting him in the, you know, in the bullpen gives him a little bit of a kind of a taste of the major leagues. And it's almost kind of the, kind of the retro approach that we've talked about in, right. you know, breaking guys into the major leagues. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm definitely excited to see what he does in spring training and kind of following that and seeing where he falls in the pecking order. Yeah, I guess I could see that as a decent enough argument. If you want to try to you know, go easy on Shane Green's arm a little bit and kind of kick the tires first before you kind of count on him to fill out a number four starter role or whatever it might be. Coming off of that surgery and the season-long troubles with, you know, the numb fingers and the aneurysm and all this, all this other stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to use the analogy that you just did with Drew Smiley. I could see him kind of becoming, you know, a long relief guy. Let's use him for three, four innings in a stretch. Let him still pitch a lot but not rely on him to fill a starter's role if if that's the direction that they go but I, I I'm having a hard time seeing uh Daniel Norris slot right into that number five spot right from the get-go I mean he pitched extremely well last year a lot there to like I'm just not sure that he's uh, hot and ready uh to be thrown right into the starting rotation especially if you're talking about Look, this is uh this is a year that we want to win the world championship Michael it just said repeatedly we're going for it do you put a guy like Daniel Norris in your starting rotation right out of the gate? I think you do. Uh, you know, it kind of depends on how exactly he performs during spring training, obviously. But I think that he definitely has to be a leader, uh, you know, for that role right now. Hmm. Um, and with having, you know, a guy like maybe Shane Green or Michael Fulmer in the bullpen right now and kind of stretched out as that long reliever, uh, you can not only limit Norris's innings, but, you know, you almost kind of have a ready-made insurance policy if, you know, anything goes wrong with Norris. Um, you know, if he starts to struggle, you can always send him down and call up an actual reliever and then move that, you know, reliever starter that's in the bullpen over to, you know, the rotation. Um, it Among, you know, kind of overall, I guess I'm just kind of encouraged that the Tigers are thinking outside the box with a lot of this. It seems like they're not yes. necessarily, you know, taking starters and relievers and separating them into two piles. They're saying, let's look at all of our pitchers 
and kind of see what roles they fall into and, you know, let the, let the best man win. Yeah, and when I wrote about this on the site last week, and I'm not sure if I communicated it clearly enough, it felt like I was kind of struggling to make the point. Um, but what I picked up from this, his his kind of dual approach of saying, uh, we want to bring guys up through the system to fill the bullpen, and then at the same time saying, we need to sign some guys to fill those roles. So we're looking right now in the offseason to sign some free agents. All of that together saying, uh, finally at the end, we're going to make decisions in spring training. And I look at that and go, well, the timeline is such that you have to sign those those free agents now. You can't wait till spring training to start signing free agents, so they'll all be signed up. Uh, at the same time, you know, how do you go out and sign a bunch of um, role guys, basically? Well, I've, I've got my proven closer signed. I've got my eighth inning guy signed. I've got my seventh inning guy signed. And then still, quote unquote, make decisions in spring training. To me, there's there's a ray of hope in that and saying maybe he's not going to do that. Maybe he's just going to go out and sign good pitchers, good relievers, and not hand them over to Brad Osmus as in, you know, here's your closer, here's your setup, man, now go use them that way. Just like, here are some good arms. I've picked you up two or three good relievers. Here's some other good arms from within the organization. Now let's let them all run out at spring training and see where they shake out. And nobody's, you know being pre-assigned that closer role because they signed a fat contract, your role is not being dictated by the fact that, hey, we spent money for your label like like, like David Joe Nathan. Yeah, and I think that his terminology, or lack thereof, has been very interesting. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, you know, Avila has only referred to all relievers as relievers so far, correct? He hasn't said the word closer. Well, yeah, he did here in this one quote. He said, we're really evaluating the possible in-house candidates that can go out and close games or be an eighth inning guy. So he did kind of refer to at least the role of eighth inning guy, and I did kind of cringe internally a little bit when he said that. But who knows if he's just, you know, using the established baseball terminology. I don't think I've ever heard him say proven closer. That's encouraging. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's all looking very good at this point. So hopefully they'll take that approach and just sign a bunch of good arms and let spring training be the deciding factor. Who knows? More to say about all of this, but we'll handle it in the next segment as we wrap this one up. When we come back, we'll go into the mob scene at home and take some listener questions and talk about the fact that the Tigers may be talking out of both sides of their mouth. Explain what that means when we come back. Swing the fly ball, left field, deep, going back, Cabrera, looking up, and it's gone, a home run! James McCann with the walk-off winner! Number three, rounding third, exchanges the low ten with Dave Clark, and into the mob scene at home. And here we go, into the mob scene at home, the section of the show where we take uh, listener questions. We'd like to accept those through email, through Twitter, through the website, any way we can get them. If you want to try and get a hold of us, you can reach both Rob and I on Twitter. You can get us at Bless You Boys. You can reach me at HookslideBYB. Rob is at BYBRob. You can send us an email at BYBTigers at gmail.com. The questions were a little bit thin this week, Rob. I think people are just kind of getting tapped out a little bit on the... uh, on the whole lack of activity in the offseason. But we'll see things pick up, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Um, this issue, though, the Tigers seem like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. It was a question raised by Austin2016 at God Till on Twitter. He says, the two stories so far this offseason are, number one, beefing up analytics, two, chasing big money relief pitchers. Is that contradictory? 
I don't necessarily know if it's contradictory. Um, you know, beefing up the analytics department is obviously it's something that needed to happen, but there are so many different ways that you can use a lot of these statistics and numbers. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, signing the cheapest guy possible or trying to find, you know, uh, you know, the, the lowest common denominator or lowest dollar amount for a certain guy. Um, you know, maybe those numbers say that, you know, Darren O'Day is your best option. You should go spend seven or eight million dollars on a guy like that. Um, so it's really kind of attacking the same problem different ways. Uh, and we'll we'll kind of see what comes out of it. But I don't know that it's necessarily contradictory. Yeah, I would tend to agree with with what you're saying there. It's you know the analytics should point you to the best player options, and you know certainly if the Tigers had a somewhat beefier uh, farm system, so to speak, they would probably have more options to go fill the, those bullpen roles instead of chasing quote unquote big dollar relief pitchers. The fact of the matter is they don't. They don't have that option. There aren't a lot of cheap options out there. We've already talked about the fact that the reliever pool in free agency is very very thin at this point. So it only stands to reason that if you're going to get the good ones who the analytics point to as being the good relief pitchers, they're probably going to be the ones that are also quote unquote big money. So yeah, I think 2016 is, you know, you're going to have to deal with that a little bit. Maybe as the farm system develops and deepens a little bit, you'll see less and less of that in 2017, 2018. But no, I don't really see those as being contradictory. Although I could see how you, how you would see it that way it, it does seem like you know when you think about beefed up analytics you think moneyball you think go buy cheap you know versus more of the dave dombrowski approach which is go spend huge amounts of money and just ignore the analytics i mean you kind of see where, where he's going with that right yeah absolutely um you know it's it, it, it has really seemed like a you know us versus them kind of dichotomy over the years and it really is more convoluted than that uh, and it seems like so far, that Al Avila kind of has a better grasp on that than the previous regime did. Yeah, the other factor that I think we have to take into account, um, and I'm, I'm seeing this more now as I'm reading other books like Big Data Baseball. I started reading that this past week and wanting to get into the other one called uh, The Extra 2%. The fact of the matter is that when Moneyball happened, when Billy Bean did his thing and was able to get a bunch of cheap players who were good because he found market inefficiencies, we've come a long, long, long way since then and the fact of the matter is a lot of other teams are have basically caught up with that the front offices there's a lot of teams out there that are using big analytics you think about you know uh i think the cubs are doing it the red sox were doing it the the blue jays i think to some extent uh this book that i'm reading is is about the pittsburgh pirates picking up on that so now they're kind of into it before them the cleveland indians were kind of the really the front runner before even the oakland a's got into it um so there's a lot of teams that are now using the big analytics, and I think that of necessity is that it's, you're not going to have this super secret under the radar edge anymore. You can't just go, oh, nobody's looking at on base percentage, so now we can go get a bunch of cheap guys, you know, because everyone's looking at home runs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and we've seen teams kind of look for that next big edge, uh, so to speak. I know that teams have looked at everything from you know personal conditioning of their athletes to I know that the Houston Astros kind of got a bit of publicity for looking at pitchers' spin rates uh, right. and you know trying to use that data to find an edge. The Pittsburgh Pirates have done their own research on shifts, and I know that they're one of the more uh, defensive shift happy happy teams in the major leagues. Um, so teams are still trying to look you know parse through all that data and try to find some sort of edge that. You know, they're finding any sort of undervalued player. 
Um, and, you know, it's encouraging that the Tigers are dipping into this now. You know, maybe they end up finding the next big discovery that gives them, you know, a, an advantage over a year or two span. Um, but the, the gap has definitely closed at this point, and I think that the Tigers are more than anything are just catching up now. Yeah, they definitely seem to be behind the eight ball, even by Al Avila's own admission, you know, saying, hey, we're behind other clubs at this point. So with that gap closing, I, I think you'll see less and less of those opportunities to say, well, we just found an absolute steal, you know, for less than a million dollars a year, who's going to be the next, you know, major all-star. Uh, Justin Hines at DC Enigma says, uh, Mike Illich comes to both of you and says, pick one available free agent and sign him. Who do you pick? That that's a uh, whew, that's a tough one. Um, if I, I I I guess I assume that money money is no object here. Money is never an object. Okay. Um, you know, if I had to pick one guy, I, you know, might as well go big and go with David Price. I think hmm. the Tigers need a need a starter more than anything. Um, you know, I haven't really looked at which starter I want the most out of all yeah. these. So you know, go big or go home. Okay, let's 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 say that that's what this question means. That you only get to pick one free agent. This is the only move the Tigers get to make in terms of signing out of the free agent pool this year. Yeah, I think starting pitching is obviously the biggest need, and I would probably either go with David Price or I would go with uh, Zach Greinke. One of those two. I mean, you have to, right? If you're only going to make one move, if you're only going to pick one free agent. See that that's kind of the tough part though is that if you only get one free agent I would I guess I would almost lean back towards the outfield um, because you look at the Tigers farm system you know they have a few starters there there's Daniel Norris there's there's Shane Green there's Michael Fulmer they have some starters and you know hopefully one or the two of these guys develops into a decent decent pitcher they have nothing in terms of outfielders. Um, you know, they've got Stephen Moya, they've got Tyler Collins. Um, so uh, a guy like Alex Gordon or Jason Hayward could provide, you know, that much more of an upgrade over his replacement compared to what, you know, even Price or Zach Greinke would up, would offer over, you know, one of, one of these other guys over the course of their contract mm-hmm. that I think that, you know, maybe the outfield, if you're only going for one guy, the outfield might be the way to go. I see. I wouldn't. I would. I would do a long-term starting pitcher like Price or Greinke, and probably write off 2016 as a bit of a. You know, you're probably not going to win it now because that's you need two starting pitchers, and that's only one starting pitcher. So now you're looking at Verlander, say Price and Sanchez. That I mean, that's not bad. That, that'll get you part of the way there. I think the outfield depth is a little bit deeper than maybe what we're giving credit for. I mean, I would take a chance on somebody like a Winton Bernard or even run up one of these guys from the low minors like Mike Gerber, my buddy Gerber baby, you know, and start running them out to outfield positions before I would give up on the starting pitching and start trying to sign a free agent outfielder. See, that's the other kind of the part that we have to look at is whether or not you're looking at 2016 as the year to compete or if you're kind of going past that and going to 2017. I think if 2016 you're not necessarily signing an outfielder, you know, we've crunched the numbers on that. And the Tigers are really kind of behind the eight ball if they don't sign the starter. Um, But, you know, if you're looking towards 2017, you know, maybe one of these guys that you're talking about, a Gerber or, you know, someone else down there in the lower minors, Kristen Stewart is Mm -hmm. another guy that the Tigers just brought into the system. Maybe they're starting to get towards, you know, being ready at that point. Right. And, you know, even Jacoby Jones, you know, a guy that we've already talked about in the podcast, he can play multiple positions. Maybe he's one of the guys that starts to fit in that mold. It's it's going to be so hard not to make drug jokes every time we talk about Jones now. <laughs> I know we probably shouldn't, but man, uh, the off season blues, man. You got to find the entertainment somewhere. 
Corey McKee on Twitter at CornFedTiger says, with all the possible trade talk for Andrew Miller, what would you give up for him? Rumor of a frontline starting pitcher seems asinine for the Tigers. Do you agree? It definitely does, uh, because if you're kind of thinking frontline starter along the same lines that the Yankees are probably are, you're looking at a guy like Daniel Norris. And I think that that, you know, for Andrew Miller just seems ridiculous. Um, you know, and Miller, I was looking at, he only still only put up two wins above replacement last year, even with the ridiculous numbers that we already talked about on the show. Uh, you know, and even just an average starter is going to do that same kind of damage in the number of innings that they're throwing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I already said it earlier, but it, the starting rotation is kind of in a shambles now if you're talking about needing to go and get two new starters uh, just to kind of get back to square one and compete. So, yeah, to um, try and go get Andrew Miller, I understand he's he's great, he's a proven closer and all that good stuff, crazy good numbers, but to destroy the starting rotation even further, I mean, come on. that You're shooting yourself in the foot if you do that, and I certainly don't suspect that the Tigers would ever... Alavila's not that stupid, right? You'd like to hope so. Um, the only way you could even like consider doing something like this, I think, is if you go back to using Andrew Miller like Willie Hernandez or you know a previous closer, you know from the seventies or eighties that you've been talking about. You know, if you give a guy like that one hundred and forty innings instead of seventy or sixty, he threw sixty-one and two-thirds innings last year. I'm looking at now. Um, you know, giving him you know another you know, double his innings limit or even more than that, maybe he starts to put up the same kind of value that you're looking at uh, as a starter and it affects more games. But even then, still tough to tough to swallow that one. Yeah, and I don't know if his agent would be entirely happy if we started using him for 140 innings per year because that it worked really well for Willie Hernandez for one year. And uh, there, there's a lot of talk that uh, he possibly ruined his arm in that one year. Put up a great 1984. He won the Cy Young and the MVP as a reliever, for crying out loud. Uh, but he didn't really pitch the same after that. So I think Sparky may have overused him just slightly. It doesn't mean that it's not a good strategy, because a lot of relievers in those times did pitch longer, you know, more more innings per outing, that kind of thing. But they didn't. Nobody really got quite close to those numbers of 140, that kind of thing. Closer to like I think you'd see 100, 110 innings. But yeah, I don't give up a starting pitcher for a reliever. That would be that would indeed be asinine, Corey. You are correct. And then Rob, you had a question to kind of bandy about here. Uh, how many of the Tigers' current bullpen arms would you feel comfortable with having on the opening day roster in 2016? Well, you tackle that one first. It's... Well, we were kind of getting there when we were talking through what Alavila said about wanting to get as many homegrown arms into the bullpen, you know, as possible. And I was starting to kind of think through my head, you know, in preparation for this question of like, yeah, okay, who do you have that you could really begin to build a homegrown bullpen core with? And in my mind, I've obviously Alex Wilson is at the top of that list, and I would be completely okay with uh, the Tigers putting him in the ninth inning role. At this point, I don't think you necessarily need to get an Andrew Miller or a Darren O'Day or a Joaquin Soria for that. I'm not going to complain if they do, but yeah, you could use Alex Wilson in the, in that ninth inning role, certainly. Um, Blaine Hardy, uh, uh, get back to me on that one. He had a really good first half, if I recall, but I want to say in the second half of the season, he seemed to struggle a little bit. And especially with his uh, lefty-righty splits, seemed to get a little more pronounced in the second half. Um, as far as that, I, I would keep Al Albuquerque around. I know he can be a little bit inconsistent, but um, he, you know he he's generally better than not, I guess. 
uh, outside of those three, um, Drew Verhagen is intriguing, but I need to see more before I would confidently say yes, definitely stick him in that role. And I know some people have thrown around the names like Kyle Ryan or, you know, Buck Farmer. Just not sure about those two that that I would want to for sure put them in a starting, uh, not starting, but, you know, the opening day roster in 2016. So I guess that's, I'm, I'm saying maybe four, really. Alex Wilson, maybe Blaine Hardy, Al Albuquerque, possibly Drew Verhagen. See, I'm kind of in that same range, and I would maybe go towards five if you sign a couple real top guys. But I think four is kind of the number that I would be more comfortable with, you know, saying that they would have to acquire three different guys. Um, You know, a couple other names that you didn't necessarily mention there. Uh, A guy like Angel Nesbitt, who, you know, pitched for a little while last season, but then kind of saw the wheels fall off a bit. Uh, You know, maybe he turns things around after another offseason of work. Um you know, Jeff Farrell was up for a little bit, and he kind of climbed the ladder pretty quickly through the minor leagues last year. Another guy that uh, coming through the minor leagues is Paul Volker, um, who had a really dominant season at a couple levels. I believe he finished the year in Double A, so he may be a guy that we see, um, you know, come up through the pipeline uh, next season. Um, but one one big one is uh, Bruce Rondon. Right. You know, it's not necessarily a guy you want to count on as a ninth inning, you know, as a closer guy right now. Um, but if you, I, I kind of liken him to Kelvin Herrera of the Royals. You know, if you bring him along kind of like they did as a, you know, a middle relief type prospect, you know, maybe he figures it out and turns into kind of the same reliever that Herrera is now. You know, Herrera was, you know, the Royals seventh inning guy, uh, in 2014. And then when Greg Holland went down in the, in, with his injury last season, uh, Herrera stepped into kind of the eighth inning role and, you know, has pitched really well since then. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him going forward. And, you know, maybe the maybe the Tigers look to kind of that same role with uh, Bruce Rondon and put him kind of in a in a more of a middle relief role for now, see how he handles it and then progress him from there. Yeah, I know Rondon is out there and it was a name that crossed my mind. But just I think from what we saw last year and especially with the way things kind of ended and him being sent home early for whatever issues it was not showing up to practice or whatever he was not doing. Um, I, I, the question was, who do you want to see on the opening day roster? And I, I wouldn't object to seeing Rondon back at some point. I don't think I want to see him on opening day. I would want to see him put in a couple of months at the AAA level and really let him get his stuff figured out. But yeah, I, I agree that, you know, if you can bring him on and not put the pressure on him of saying you're going to be, you know, a setup man or you're going to be the closer guy, let him pitch, you know, that seventh inning or wherever you kind of need someone to come in and throw really, really hard fastballs and get a lot of strikeouts, you know, let's see what he can do in that. But I I don't know. I'm sour on Rondon just because it's been how many years now that we've been promised? Yeah, he's going to come in and do great things. And then he, you know, doesn't or he's missing a season for surgery. And then I don't know. Uh, We'll we'll keep the uh, jury out on on Bruce Rondon, I think. So, uh, you, did you pick your uh, your opening day roster then for current? If I had current guys, I think that you know Wilson, Hardy, and Albuquerque would be, I guess, locks if you want to say that. And then you know for that fourth guy, I'd go. I would be comfortable with any um, you know any of the guys that we have already mentioned. Uh, you know, kind of letting them all battle it out in spring training, and the winner of that, if they make the roster, I'd, I'd be okay with that. The thing about Blaine Hardy, and like I was saying, I think he seemed to struggle a little bit in the second half. But that being said, I saw what he could do in the first half, and he was really, really good, I thought. I would absolutely want to see him 
I'm going to put it this way. If he's going to make the opening day roster, I absolutely do not want to see him filling the role of Lugie. I mean, use the guy if you're going to use him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think that they need to add another left-hander. I don't think you can go into the season with like a Hardy as being your best left-hander, per se. I think that they need to kind of go out and get you know, a pretty solid guy to fill that role. You know, I don't necessarily want it to be like Blaine Hardy and Tom Gorzolani, God forbid, mm-hmm. as your two left-handers heading into the season. Um, you know, if you get one of the one of the upper echelon lefties on the on the market right now, um, I know one of the big names available is, is Antonio Bastardo, oh, yes. who has pitched for a few different teams uh, and really pitched well last year, if I remember correctly. If you get a guy like him, and then slot Hardy in as that second lefty, I think I'd feel a lot more comfortable with that. Yeah, Bastardo is uh, kind of on my. My, my wish list, maybe the top of my wish list. I know they're showing interest in guys like Miller and O'Day and Soria and so forth, but uh, I would almost put Bastardo, if not above all of those guys, certainly a close second to most of those names because uh, I liked his numbers from last year. Super, super high strikeout per nine rate. I think it was like 11 or 12 per nine uh, and a lefty to boot. So I would love to see them go and get a guy like Bastardo, but, you know, we'll see. Okay, so that should uh, wrap it up then for our Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. We'll come back and wrap things up for the show with our seventh inning kvetch, and uh, we're going to play the free agent drafting game, and let's see if you guys can beat my picks and Rob's picks. We'll explain what that's all about when we come back. Three now, here's the 2-2. Oh, boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor, not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Brad Osmus better get out there quickly. And welcome back from the break. We are into the home stretch now with our seventh inning Kvetch, our fifth and final segment of the show. We're going to play the free agent drafting game. We invite you to play along. This is a this is Rob's idea, kind of a fun idea, uh, and we'll take your entries in the comments section of this uh, uh, the post on the site, which uh, embeds this this podcast. Uh, the rules are, I, I believe, as follows. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. It was it was your game idea. But we're basically going to pick eight players. Each of us are going to pick eight players from the current free agent pool. The idea is uh, that for each player, we're going to name, we're going to predict three possible teams for this player to be uh, acquired by. So we might say uh, David Price, and I predict either the Dodgers, the Cubs, or the Yankees. We're going to enter these uh, these predictions, and then we're going to watch what happens as the offseason unfolds. And if the players that we've picked, if they end up signing with any one of those three teams, then as far as the point system goes, we get credit for one year of that player's annual average value. Now, we talked about possibly doing a total you know, salary amount. So like if David Price signed for $210 million in seven years, you'd get credit for the 210. The more I thought about it, then I thought, well, that really does kind of tilt things in favor of the the super high-priced agents, and we want to be able to get some value out of the lower-priced guys as well. So we'll just go with the annual average value. So in David Price's case, if he signs for seven years and $210 million, then you'll get credit for $30 million. And uh, so that's how we're keeping track of the points, and we'll see who ends up with the most uh, money points however you want to call it, at the end of this thing. If you want to play along, go ahead and put your picks in the comments section. Just list out your eight players, and for each player, three potential teams that you predict they'll go to. And uh, we'll keep track of who wins the most points. We were talking before the show, and I think to make this fun, uh, for the winner of this contest, 
We don't really have a whole lot of things to give away, but I was saying I can I would be happy to put together for the winner of the contest. I will put together a burned CD of all of the Dan Dickerson audio clips that I have in my archive, and that's got to be that's got to be over a hundred audio clips that I've collected since 2014 and 2015. That's that's a ton of stuff right there. So, in fact, I think I've even got some 2013 clips. When was the year that uh, Tory Hunter hit that walk off home run against the A's? That was 2013, wasn't it? Uh, sounds about right, I think. August 2013, if I'm not mistaken. It was August 2013 or 2014. Okay, so that's about when I started collecting clips. So I've got, a, I guess I've got stuff from the playoffs in 2013, too. So that that would be a fun little collection of audio clips for you to listen to, get you through those dark winter days. So come play along with us. Uh, Rob, who gets to go first? Well, you can go ahead and go first. I, I kind of <laughs> thought of this, so I'll let you... Well, you I, had to, the first pick here. I, had, I had to put together a huge list just in case you uh, ended up taking some of my picks here. And the, the trick here, I think, is to maybe pick some of those guys lower on the list that I have a better idea of where they might actually end up. I want to get credit for all the all the money they get. I'm going to start though with um, I'm going to start with Chris Davis as my first pick, and I predict that he, Chris Davis, will either end up with the Red Sox, the Twins, or the Brewers. Interesting. Um, I think I will go with Jason Hayward, and my guesses would be the the Cardinals, the um, the Cubs, or the San Francisco Giants. Really? I mean, I know yeah. they've, they've got needs in the outfield, but mm-hmm. I think they're going to sign big. Yeah. See, I I read you know a couple interesting articles. One from again Grant Brisby. God, this is like the Grant Brisby podcast. <laughs> you should really um, get him on here at some point. What do you think? Yeah. Um, but I read, you know, some interesting stuff from him talking about how the Giants are getting involved in kind of real estate development around their uh, around their stadium. Yes, they are, and that could develop into you know kind of a pretty steady cash flow for them. So we may almost see you know two superpowers emerging in that NL West as far as you know big spending goes. So you know maybe that's kind of the first opening salvo with their outfield needs. Yeah, if they if they do what he's talking about in that real estate development, they're they're talking about a major increase in their payroll that could uh, that's going to make the NL West some kind of craziness my second pick I am going to go big here with Zach Greinke and I predict he will either end up back with the Dodgers he will go to the Yankees or he's going to end up right here in Detroit all right then I'm going to go ahead and take David Price I will echo your your uh your Dodgers and Tigers picks but I'm also going to say he might sign with the Red Sox the Red Sox. Hmm. Okay. You think you think Trader Dave has got it in him to go after David Price? I know they need pitching help, but they they needed an ace something fierce last year. That's true, and they've got money to spend. So yeah, that's pretty good picks actually. Hmm. You might have me on that one. Okay, then um, who do I else? Uh, who else do I have from the high price list? Um, Ioannis Cespedes. I'm going to make a bold guess here that he either ends up with the Rangers, the Nationals, or the Cubs. The Nationals, huh? That's interesting. Yeah, I think they need help in the outfield. I mean, they've got Harper out there, but I was looking at mm-hmm. some of the other outfield stats, and it's not pretty, and I think I think they'll spend for it. Huh. So who would they move to center field then? Because they've got Harper, they've got Jason Wirth. Do they use Cespedes in center? I'm or they not Harper over there? sure. Huh. Maybe in left, maybe in center. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will. I'm going to go ahead and complete the kind of outfield draw here. I say Alex Gordon. 
I think he's going to end up with either the Royals again, the Tigers, or huh, I need a third team here, um, or the Angels. Hmm. Okay. I just realized I had him on my list, but I hadn't picked that third team. Tigers and Royals are my first two picks for him, though, too. So, uh, all right, then I will go after. You're gonna like this one. I'm gonna see if I can get a sure bet with Alex Avila and predict that he either ends up with the Seattle Mariners, the San Diego Padres, or again, the Washington Nationals. All right, looking at some of the bigger names here again. Um, Let's go ahead and say Jeff Samarja. Um, I will say the White Sox, the Cubs, and third team here. um, Let's go ahead and throw the Tigers on there. Really? Okay. Yeah, he's one that I've considered. He's, I mean, as, as a potential for the Tigers, uh, we'll, we'll see. We will see. Let's go with another big-name pitching free agent in Johnny Cueto. You're going to love this because this makes absolutely no sense, but I don't even care. Uh, I'm going to go White Sox, Cubs, or Phillies. Hmm, the Phillies, that would be an interesting one for him. Yep. You know, Philly. I mean, he did pitch in, you know, small, uh, uh, their their small ballpark in Cincinnati and did pretty well, so he could handle that environment. All right. Let's go with, now, we'll say Jordan Zimmerman. You bastard. Um, and I'm going to say, I'll echo your Brewers pick with that. So Brewers for one. He's from, I believe he's from Wisconsin. Um, I'll also say, and you know what, let's throw the other two big names on there. We'll say the Brewers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. All right, Yankees and Red Sox. I just realized that I didn't pick enough players to accommodate for you possibly taking some of my picks. So I'm going to need to find one more if you don't, <clears throat> if you leave my other two alone. I'm going to do another off the, under the radar here with Rajay Davis and say that he either comes back to the Tigers, he goes to the Indians, or he goes to the Marlins. All right, I'm going to take some low-hanging fruit here. I'll say, I'll take Hisashi Iwakuma. Oh, nice. Um, he will, I mean, he's most likely going to end up back with the Mariners, so that's kind of an easy one. Uh, but then I'll also say the Dodgers and Giants. I need to write this down. I don't, th- I don't think he goes past the West Coast. So you said Iwakuma, and the three teams were? The Mariners, the Dodgers, and the Giants. Dodgers and Giants, okay. Azdrubal Cabrera is either going to end up with the White Sox the St. Louis Cardinals or the Los Angeles Dodgers. All right, let's go ahead and swing for the fences here. I'm going to take uh, Ian Desmond and, oh, geez, where's he going to end up? Um, I will say the Mets. Um, who else needs a shortstop? That's a tough one. <laughs> the Mets, the Nationals, they could always resign him, although it's probably not likely. And... Uh, the Yankees. And that leaves me with my final pick. And I'm doing this one on the flight and have a chance to think about it. Uh, <clears throat> Brian Pena is on the market. And I'm going to say he goes back to the Reds. He ends up with the Tigers. Or he ends up with the Atlanta Braves. Hmm. All right. Let's go with... I know he's not going to end up with the Tigers, but I just mm-hmm. I really want him to. He's so fun. I know. 
Um, let's say, ooh, this is tough now. Let's say Matt Weeders. Um, I think that he will end up with the Orioles, the Atlanta Braves, or um, the Rangers. I'm not sure if they need a catcher, but they seem like they do. I couldn't even tell you who's catching for them right now. Yeah, that's why I can't <laughs> I think of it. Say, uh, shoot. Yeah, I probably should have paid more attention during the, uh, I don't know, the off, uh, the, the postseason. <laughs> All right, so there it is. Those are our picks. I will notate them. I will include them in the uh, show notes so that it's written down for a permanent record. And like we said, we encourage you to play along. Uh, it should be some fun. The winner of the contest gets a CD of Dan Dickerson audio clips. You can't go wrong with that. So we'll, we'll also try to, we'll try to, you know, drum up something else for the winner as well. All right, we'll see what we can what we can do. We want a lot of players in this. It's not easy. It is so not easy. And like I said uh, earlier in the show, I went back and looked at that prediction thread from 2014, and the, the rules were slightly different than we just said, hey, pick three players that you think the Tigers will acquire. It doesn't have to be limited to free agency. It could be by trade or whatever. But just go ahead and pick three. You'd think that'd be fairly easy to do. Just pick three players that end up with the Tigers. And out of 78 comments on that post, only one guy one comment got one player right in predicting Cespedes to the Tigers. Nobody else who put out all these, you know, all these different names on that thread, and nobody got any of the players right. So this should be uh, some fun for us. It'll be even more fun come 2016 in the offseason. We can go back and revisit just how horribly wrong that we were. Uh, out of all those picks, Rob, who do you think the Tigers ought to aim for? Out of all these picks here, uh, I'd like to see them go after Alex Gordon. Oh, yeah. uh, that's you know definitely a good one for them to to aim for. Um, I'm not entirely sold on Jeff Samarja per se, but I think that you know it seems like the Tigers are more looking towards that avenue. Uh, you know that a pitcher in that uh, tier, I guess, more so than you know the David Prices or Zach Greinke's of the world. Yeah, it's funny because I know as bad as they need starting pitching, I just kind of have this feeling that it, they'll, they'll take care of the starting pitching. I'm not terribly worried about it. But as far as if they're going to make a splash and make you know one big signing, I would love for it to be Alex Gordon. I would love to have that defense out in left field. And someday if I get very, very drunk, I will tell you the story of uh, my son, who's like 11, it was 10 at the time, playing MLB The Show, and Alex Gordon's character robbing him of a game-winning home run, and he said a very, very bad word. So it would just make, uh, it's, it's an in-joke for us here, but we would be saying those words about Alex Gordon all season long. It would be great. Anyhow, uh, so those are our picks. Leave us your picks. We're going get to get some swag out to you somehow, one way or the other. And that should be more than enough podcasting for this episode of The Voice of the Turtle. Rob, any final words? Uh, yeah, I'm actually just receiving word right now from Patrick O'Kennedy that off-season waivers do not have like a priority list, so in Guido Knudsen's case, uh, it's just kind of first come, first serve, and the Pirates were the first ones to get to him. Nope. So not not necessarily trying to sneak him through, and they didn't get as far as we thought. Ridiculousness, but oh well. That's that's what Patrick's there for. Guido is gone, and uh, maybe the Tigers will let the Pirates fix him and make him a really awesome pitcher, and then the Tigers can get him back. They could, you know, hey, you know, maybe they'll do that with Joaquin Soria too. Right? And then I can make even more ridiculous pirate-based jokes and really piss people off. Yep, that's my plan. All right. Remember, guys, we are only one half of the conversation, and you're the other half. So leave your comments for us at the website at blessyouboys.com. Just find the podcast post. Leave us your thoughts there. Or you can get us on Twitter at hookslidebyb or bybrob. 
just send us an email at bybtigers at gmail.com. So, on behalf of Rob Rojacki and all the wandering free agents this offseason, this is Hookslide saying uh, there's only 44 days until Christmas, for crying out loud. Baseball can't be too far behind. And we'll see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle.